Are you ready to turn your investments into retirement income? Listen in as Jeremy Kyle and his guests reveal ways you can make smarter retirement, investment, and tax planning decisions to achieve your ideal retirement. You will learn more about your money so you can feel better about your money and make better money decisions. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Retirement Revealed. I'm your host, Jeremy Kyle, and we're here to turn your retirement savings into a consistent retirement income. Today, I'm joined by my producer, Eric Johnson. Eric, how are you doing today? Jeremy, I'm doing fantastic. I'm, I'm so excited for today's podcast. You got something special in mind. Yeah, exactly. We've been doing the podcast for over two years now. We'll get people emailing in occasionally with questions, and it's always fun to talk to people. I'll just tell you right now, hey, if you've got any questions, please send them to us. We'd love to answer those questions, love to even talk about them on the show, which is what we're going to do today. Tell us if you want to keep those questions private, and obviously we're not using any you know, identifying information or anything like that. But we had a recent episode, and this person emailed us, never heard from him before, and so great to, to meet him through email. And he had some great questions. And I was just telling you before the show, Eric, they're pretty much the biggest, most common questions I've ever he- heard, uh, some of the biggest misconceptions I see all the time. And so I wrote back to him, gave him my answers, and I said, can I use these on the show? Because, oh my goodness, everyone's gonna get such value out of hearing his questions and us responding to them because it's, it's pretty much what everyone else is thinking. And good for him for taking the time to, to send in his thoughts and, and not being ashamed of, am I right or wrong? Or, you know, I just wanna get the answer, so, so good for him. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I know that you already answered him you know, through email. He doesn't have to wait for this podcast, and, and neither would anybody else who emails questions in. You'll, you'll answer them right away, but be able to use them on future podcasts. So as producer, I'm echoing this. You sent me the notes ahead of time. I just wanna be very transparent with the audience. These notes are fantastic, and, and the stuff that he's asking and the things that you're covering, yeah, this is stuff that, that everybody needs to hear. So I'm, I'm really excited to dive into this today. It's, it's really, it's your retirement questions that everyone has, so let's, let's get going to it. And I'll just read the, the questions here, paraphrase them a bit. And thank you, Hans, for emailing in. Way to go. Appreciate it. So shout out to Hans for, uh, from Florida for writing in. But Hans says he is 58 and a half, his wife is 54, And he said right there at the beginning, as you can see, I am a year away from drawing money from my 401k. And let's just talk about that real quick. Uh, Because just about everyone has that slight misperception that they know that traditional IRAs are 59 and a half. You've got to wait till 59 and a half to take out the money without this 10% penalty. But almost no one is aware of the rule being 55 for 401ks. Now, there's a little bit of caveat there. What the rule is, is when you leave your employment and you are 55 or older, the 401k from where you left employment is penalty free. So there's no 10% penalty on taking money out of your 401k when you leave your employment after the age of 55. So let's just, uh, we're we're local to Milwaukee here. I'll go with uh, Miller Brewing. That's a nice Milwaukee hometown. Let's say you work for Miller Brewing, uh, which I think is Molson Coors or you know, something in Canada now, but you leave employment, you're 54, you turn 55, sorry, that 401k is still 59 and a half. But if you turn 55 and then leave employment, that Miller 401k, you can take the money out at 55 with no 10% penalty. But maybe you've got an old 401k from another place you left years ago, that old 401k is still 59 and a half. So remember, when you're planning on when do I retire, where can I get money from? If you're leaving employment after the age of 55, which is quite common, 
10% penalties don't apply to that specific 401k. So keep that one in mind. And some people hear that and say, hey, it must be tax-free then, right? No, no, it's just a penalty, right? If it's traditional money, you still got the traditional taxes going on there. It's just so nice not to have that penalty. And that's why a lot of people are waiting till the age of 59 and a half to leave their employment because they want to make sure their 401k is available to them without a penalty. And rest assured, it's actually 55. You leave employment after 55, no 10% penalty on that specific 401k. So that's just good information for people to have when they're planning on their retirement. Well, let me ask you a quick question before you move on from this. I know that you have worked you know, with a lot of different companies as far as you know different companies' retirement schedules in a way. I don't, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but you keep your finger on the pulse of a lot of companies, Harley-Davidson being one of them. I know there's a couple others that we've discussed before. In your experience, how many of these companies are actually educating their their employees about this situation, especially when they're offering maybe some early retirement options. And the reason I bring it up is because my father worked for Boeing and they had somebody come in and talk about early retirement and the possibilities. My dad actually did retire at 55 because he he found out about this rule and somebody came in and talked to their entire group about it and he made the decision, well, I'm going to go ahead and retire at 55 because then I can draw off of this without any penalties. Yeah, I would say that every company educates their employees in the matter of the information's out there. It seems like Boeing, especially years back when your dad was retiring, went above and beyond that, which is wonderful. And at the same time, maybe a little risky for Boeing because it seems like they might have been giving some retirement planning advice, financial advice, tax advice even, perhaps. And I am certain that most companies are shying away from that as much as possible because they're not in the business of retirement or financial or investment or tax advice, right? Even in another company that we- planes. <laughs> yeah, we're, we, you got it. And a, a company that we work with pretty closely as far as the retirees go is We Energies. And for years, I was trying to figure out why is this thing called a summary plan description? So this is where a lot of the information will be. Find something called a summary plan description when you're trying to figure out what your 401k rules, what your pension rules, find what those are. But for years, I could not figure out this one paragraph in there that was describing how the tax situation worked. And I just couldn't figure it out, couldn't figure it out. Finally, I realized the reason I didn't understand it is because it was referring to a tax rule that went away in 1999. And I wasn't in the industry until 2003. And so here we are in like 2018 by that time, and there is 20-year-old tax information in there. And so I got networked in, actually talked to the director of total rewards, you know, the, the head honcho for this kind of stuff. And she said to me, thanks for pointing that out. We're getting rid of any information that's like that because we're not in the business of tax advice. And I think it just proved why they probably should get out that information away from there is because they had old information, 20 year old uh, information. So good for them for trying to uh, put that out there. Probably think in late nineties, like that's maybe around the time that your, your dad might have retired perhaps, but uh, turns out the information should have been changed or taken away. And so I, I have a feeling that the information is out there, but you're gonna hear about it less and less from companies, if at all, as far as here's some suggestions on what to do and how to do it. Yep, seek out your own professional is what I'm hearing from you. You got it. Yeah, well, seek out the information and the professional ought to be seeking that out too. If you're working with a financial advisor that's not asking for your tax returns, that is not asking for your summary plan description before they recommend a 401k rollover, that's not asking for your pension payout options before they recommend a lump sum distribution uh, into a uh, IRA for your pension, 
they're just not doing their full ability of what they should be doing. Seek out the information and also find a financial advisor that's going above and beyond and seeking out that information. That's there. It's all out there. Uh, and it's uh, something they should be looking at. Well, good. Well, another question he had uh, basically relates to this 4% rule. And I love uh, his research that he's done here. Talked about, okay, there's a, a 4% rule. Just And of course, everyone calls it a rule. It's really more like a theory. Uh, but the, the theory was put together in the early 90s that based on historical data that, again, ended around 1994, based on that data, if you only took out about 4% per year from your investments, you let that payout rate grow every year with inflation after a 30-year period and all the historical data up to that point, you would not have run out of money. And so that's kind of where this 4% rule came from. It's a lot of people call it a safe withdrawal rate. I don't know if it's a safe is the best word, but it's a, a guideline that's been used. And what he brought up is that I heard that Vanguard and Fidelity used to have these managed payout funds that were supposed to do this. So big mutual fund companies were trying to replicate this and say, you don't have to do it on your own. We'll replicate it for you. And yet, uh, in his research, he saw these companies basically got rid of these things called managed payout funds. So his question was, if the big companies can't figure this out, what's the little guy like me going to have to have a chance to do that? And so a great question on there. And so he's basically wondering, is a 4% rule relevant? And I'm not going to give you an answer today on that because, again, it's just a theory. Uh, but it's a it's good guideline. I would say the 4% rule is somewhat of a guideline. At the same time, it ignores your pension decisions, it ignores your social security decisions, and it ignores your tax decisions. And we think very specifically that your decisions on those areas will go a lot farther than your decisions on your investments. And so we just wanna put that out there. It's Jeremy Kyle here, and I know you're listening to the Retirement Reveal Podcast because you want to learn more about making great retirement decisions. I've created a free video course for you to do just that. Head over to 5stepretirementplan.com and sign up to receive this video training right in your email inbox. We broke down our 5-step retirement plan into bite-sized videos so you can get started on the retirement, investment, and tax planning you need to create a consistent retirement income. Go to 5stepretirementplan.com, use the number or spell it out, you'll get there either way. 5stepretirementplan.com. Thanks for listening, and now for the rest of the show. And what's interesting about the 4% rule, there's people, uh, just even a recent article, and we'll link to those articles. There's people, uh, someone named Wade Fowl specifically, and a lot of people that uh, follow along and are, are part of his group, that say, hey, the 4% rule is actually too high because you look at the historical data and interest rates were higher and stock returns were higher and bond rates were higher. If you project forward what things might be looking like, oh my goodness, 4% is too high. So a lot of people with a lot of research say the 3.3% is the new 4% rule, that really 4% is too high. You've got to start out with a, a lower amount. Meanwhile, there's people on the other end that say, no, 4% is actually too low. And the big driver has nothing to do with stock, bonds, those returns, but inflation. So if you expect inflation to be low, perhaps you could go with a higher than 4% rate, including the person who says this is a person that did the original research anyways, William Bangin. He's the one that created the original research anyways. And so there's, it's just an interesting thing that here's this 4% rule. That's not a rule. It's a theory. It's a, a back-tested observation. And yet there's people on both sides of the issue saying that perhaps you could do more, perhaps you could do less. 
let's just average them out and say that's a good guideline. Maybe that's a decent guideline. This 4% thought is a good guideline. And yet, uh, where I'm going to go with perhaps towards the people that suggest you can do a little bit more than 4%, and we're having somebody on. Actually, go take a look at the most recent podcast. We'll link to that on there. We're going to have somebody on that has uh, a belief that's idea called dynamic spending. It's not like you're 62 and you sign a contract for the next 30 years saying this is specifically the exact dollar amount I'm going to take out from my investments for the rest of my life and I can never change it. Things change and people react to changes. You know, if you're taking out 3%, 4%, 5%, whatever the number is from your investments and everything is going horrible, are you just going to blindly keep following this rule that you thought was uh, in place at the age of 62? No, you're gonna make changes just like you did the last 30 years. If your income went up or down, your expenses went up or down, you adjusted to it. And so they're talking about this thing called dynamic spending rules. And I think that's actually a better place to go to say, we understand that whatever you start your retirement with is probably not gonna be the exact way for the rest of time that you are gonna be taking money out from your retirement. And so uh, that's that's our thoughts on the 4% rule. It's probably a decent guideline and yet, the thought going into it that this is the rule, you can't break the rule, uh, we think is incorrect. And love uh, having somebody on to talk about this thing called dynamic spending rules, saying, hey, life changes, you ought to approach your planning as in this is not a map that never changes, this is a way to address what might change in your retirement. So dynamic spending is really something that ought to be looked at for people that are hitting retirement. So last question he talked about, one of the biggest ones I've been uh, dealing with a couple of these questions uh, just this week is related to Social Security. Uh, I, what I mentioned is that in the podcast, previous podcast that Hans was referencing, I mentioned that it's probably a good idea to wait. When you run the math, a lot of times the math suggests you ought to wait and take Social Security later on. And he, he came back to me with what I hear a lot of times. He said, I disagree with you about not taking Social Security at 62. If I take it at 62, we have money coming in which means we have to use less savings. If I wait and die before 70, my wife gets nothing. That would cost her tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands. And then he says, I have to live to over 79 to break even. Given all that, why should I bother waiting? And that was just an amazing question. He basically took the three most common uh, questions that everyone has, throw them into one. So let's talk about them. And I, I think it was, it was great. We, he, we went back and forth and uh, on email there, and it was great to get uh, his perspective. And I think he was very much understanding my perspective about it too. So let's talk with uh, that first one, which is if we take Social Security today, if you take it sooner, that means you have to take less from your savings. Absolutely true. Everyone sees that. Everyone knows that. Everyone agrees with that. What they seem to forget is that if you wait on Social Security, and then you take it later on, you will get more from Social Security later on, which means later on, you don't have to take as much out of your savings, out of your investments. Let's just say you're gonna get $2,000 a month, and I'm gonna round that up to 25,000 a year. If you wait one or two years, or three years or four years, whatever it is, you can easily see, oh my goodness, I have to take out 25 grand, perhaps 100 grand out of my investments, and that will cost me in the long run, you can see the expense of, oh my goodness, I need to take this out of my investments in the next one, two, four years, whatever it is. And yet if you wait on Social Security, your Social Security will be higher. It'll be higher roughly by 8% per year. 
So let's just go with that, those examples at 2,000 a month. That means you might be getting 3,000 more a year for the rest of life, 8,000 more a year for the rest of life if you wait long enough. Those are actually big numbers because the rest of your life is probably a longer time than the one year, two year, three year, four year that you might be waiting on social security. And so everyone's right on with the first part of it that yes, we have to account for when I take social security later, that suggests I'm taking more money out of my investments earlier, but you also have to add the reverse. If you take social security later, that means you'll be taking less out of your investments later on. And chances are pretty good that you're later on, your rest of your life after you turn on social security is probably longer than the one, two, three, four years, whatever it is that you wait on social security. So keep that one in mind when you're thinking about your social security. The other question was, yeah, I mean, unless, and you've touched on this before, unless you know that there's a chronic illness issue, there's, you know, some other things that are factors in there, the, the statistics do show that the, the rest of your life will be much longer than <laughs> that, that smaller part in the front. So, um, yeah, interesting. But everybody's situation is different. Again, this is why you always say that somebody needs to walk through your specific situation with you, a professional uh, that can help you to determine what the best course of action is. That's exactly it. And the answers won't be exactly the same for everyone, but the process ought to be exactly the same. And a big part of the process is understanding what are your probabilities with your life expectancy. Everyone says rightly, I have no idea how long I'm gonna live. And that's very true. I've yet to have somebody give me their own death certificate, right? You'd have no idea ahead of time how long. <laughs> Expiration date. Exactly, that's, that's not the case. But you do have a great idea on probabilities. And it's interesting, uh, a lot of people compare uh, the stock market to gambling. A lot of people maybe even go up and gamble. And yet, when you are in the stock market, if you're in the stock market, you're the house. On average, the stock market goes up like 52% uh, of the days. So hey, if you're in the market, you're, you're the house, you're the casino. Uh, perhaps stocks are like investing, I'm sorry, perhaps investing is like gambling, except you're not the gambler. You're the house, you're the casino when you're in the stock market. Same deal with things like social security and pensions. You have no idea if your one individual decision today is going to work out or not, but you know exactly what the probabilities uh, are. And there's ways to, to find out those probabilities. And again, if you're not working with an advisor who's looking at what those probabilities are, then they're just uh, giving you rules of thumb that are possibly incorrect. You ought to be looking up to understand what is your longevity? And so we're gonna wrap a couple of those things into one, because uh, that's a big deal, especially with Social Security. We have an easy time to see, if I start today, I know what today looks like, but we have a hard time understanding how long might this decision last with me? And let's understand what these probabilities are, because it gets to a little bit of deep, deep math. I mean, probability is a higher level course. My mom teaches higher level math courses. Like probability is up there. It's a, it's a tough uh, situation to understand. So we're, we're gonna talk about that. And two things that this person uh, talked about that Hans said is, if I wait, you know, he's talking about what if he waits on Social Security and he dies before he files, his wife's gonna get nothing. We hear that all the time. And that's just not quite the case. If you're waiting on your Social Security and you're the one who's gonna have the higher Social Security, you're the one who the survivor will have their Social Security based on, it's not like Social Security is gonna laugh at you for, for not filing before you died and say, yep, you're out of luck forget you, they're just gonna say, oh, you died at 67, but you hadn't filed yet. Let's pretend that you 
where 67 had filed, and here's your amount to the surviving spouse. And it was a year after your full retirement age. So here's an 8% boost because of these things called delayed retirement credits. And it's the same situation if you die at 68 or 69 and a half and you haven't filed yet. It's not like filing for your social security is what guarantees that your surviving spouse is gonna get your survivor amount. And so you don't have to worry about that. That is a common thought that I have to be filed for social security for my surviving spouse to get something. And that thought is just not quite, uh, just not correct at all. So that, that's okay, it's good to learn stuff. And there we go, that's, that's something very important to, to know about survivor benefits. The last thing that he talked about is I have to live to a certain age, he said 79, uh, people can debate what that age is or not, but uh, I have to live to the certain age to break even. And that's where it gets so interesting with longevity because a lot of guys we talk to say, I have to live to the certain age. It's a matter of what are the odds that I will break even. And that's such a important concept because everyone's looking at this of if I wait a certain amount of time, what if I don't make it to there? Well, two parts of it is when people say, what are the odds that I make it to a certain age? And they are using that as a basis for not filing for social security or filing for social security. Actually look up the odds. So many people have said, I'm filing now because what are the odds? And yet they haven't even seen what the odds are. And so many people are looking at what are the individual odds? And if you're the person that is the one with the higher social security benefit, it really does not matter what the odds are of how long you live. What matters is what are the odds that either one of us in the couple is gonna make it to a certain age. And since we're talking about the odds, let's talk about that. If you are an individual and you're looking at uh, a male and you say, what are the odds I'll make it to this break-even age? It's probably about 70%. If you're a female, it's probably about 80%. So the odds are actually pretty good that you'll make it to a certain area. And again, it doesn't matter how long you might live. It matters whether one of you will make it to a certain age. And the odds that if there's two of you, that only one of you, the odds that the second person is still around by the time you get to that break-even age, it's probably about 90%. We see that number all the time. And so be mindful of when you're making a decision on the higher social security benefit, what matters is whether one of you is around. If you're making a decision about the lower benefit, what matters is if both of you are around, and those are two different probability numbers. Those are different numbers than what if you individually make it to a specific age. So you gotta be looking at that and understand that if you're making decisions based on probabilities, look up the probabilities, and chances are those probabilities are gonna be much higher than you, you think they are. Yeah, and, and, and from all of us here, as that movie says, may the odds ever be in your favor, or something like that. Yes, <laughs> We're hoping exactly. the odds are definitely in your favor. Yeah, we'd hope so, and oftentimes they are. So, so there we go, we've talked about uh, a few things and absolutely love when people send in questions. Thank you to Hans for sending in these great questions. They summarize things we hear day in and day, in, uh, day out all the time from people. So thank you Hans for sending that in. If you've got questions you'd like us to answer privately or even be willing to have them shared on the show, we'd love to have you do that. Go to retirement-revealed.com and then fill out the contact form, send us a question or just email me directly, Jeremy, J-E-R-E-M-Y, at kylefp, K-E-I-L-F-P.com. Love to hear from you. Love to talk to you. Great stuff today, Jeremy. Thank you so much for including me on this. Yeah, Eric, it's been fun to, to bounce things back and forth uh, with you, and, and thanks for coming on. And thank you, too, for listening to Retirement Revealed Podcast. We believe if you know more about your money, you will feel better about your money. 
and you will make better money decisions. Thank you for listening to the Retirement Revealed podcast. Click on the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit retirement-revealed.com to learn more. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Kyle Financial Partners. Kyle Financial Partners does not provide legal, accounting, or tax advice. Consult your attorney or tax professional. Representatives have general knowledge of the Social Security tenants. For complete details on your situation, contact the Social Security Administration. Kyle Financial Partners is a part of the Thrivent Advisor Network, a registered investment advisor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.